Welcome to Communion House Podcast with Pastor Moses Anderson, a ministry raised by God for the rebirth of the early church, with a strong commitment to seeing others rise and shine as in those days. Get ready for this timely teaching and encouraging word. Um, I think I'm going to do a little bit of Bible reading, but I want to give you a, a, the reason why. I want to give you an insight into why we're going to be doing some Bible reading today. Um, personally, I have been trying to get into the book of Revelations, uh, but quite often I find myself in the book of Exodus. And you know that I've shared with you again and again um, that the book of Exodus and the book of Revelations, I mean, from what the Lord is showing me lately, they might as well just be the same book. You see what I mean? Because both of them describe the Exodus of God's people. The coming out of a system that is oppressive into a system or into a place wherein they have the room, the freedom, and the liberty to do the will of God. Last week, I did mention in remembrance that we are not free, so to speak, because we are in a land of captivity. The Bible says that the the civilization that will be on the earth when Jesus comes to redeem his people will be a civilization that is called by some or at some point the mystery Babylon but it is also called Sodom and Egypt and that is the very first time that we would have so to speak Egypt and Sodom together at the same time there was a time in the Bible where we had the kingdom of Sodom and Gomorrah and there was another time wherein we had the dispensation or the civilization if you would of Egypt and I've explained to us the significance of both of them Sodom represents immorality Egypt represents regimentation and oppression. Now, in the past, most times where there, when there is regimentation, there is no immorality. When you look at kingdoms and governments and administrations that have reigned in the past that were very iron-fisted and heavy-handed, they do not tolerate nonsense. Everything has to be done and everything has to be prim and proper. Whereas you had civilizations like Sodom, Sodom was a prospering civilization. It was a luscious civilization. Sodom and Gomorrah were so attractive that Lot chose to immigrate to Sodom and Gomorrah. The Bible says he looked at the, the plains and the fields of Sodom and Gomorrah and he was like, ooh, I need to get me some visa. That's where I need to be. And that is because that was the creme de la creme at the time. That was the, that was the crux of the civilization of the time. But then they, there was no regimentation. It was, a, it was a system of anything goes. Whatever you want to do, just knock yourself out. And in the process, if you want to knock somebody else out too, please feel free to do so. That was the system that they ran. But the Bible says that in the last days that these two systems of government, which were divergence, or we, both of them are sort of like di divergent from the system of Nimrod. And I've explained and taught in the past about the system of Nimrod from Genesis chapter 10. Um, Genesis chapter 10 verse 10 started to talk about the system of this world by calling it uh, the system of Nimrod, the administration of Nimrod or the empires of Nimrod beginning with Babylon and ending in the plain of Shinar. And the plain of Shinar was where the two, where the one became two. Remember, they got to a place where they had to choose. But now there is now a convergence. There was a divergent. They went the, the system of Nimrod. Nimrod ran an administration that was both iron-fisted and at the same time very immoral. But then they had to separate. And when they separated, the world was running on one or the other. But in the last days, both of them are coming together. I'm saying all of that because I don't want you to be mistaken about the times that we're in and about the administrations or the governments or the empires that we have been made subject to. We have been made subject once again to Sodom and to Egypt. Now, every time there's been a Sodom, every time there's been an Egypt, God has always made, even every time there's been a Babylon, God has always made sure that there would be an exodus of his people out of captivity into freedom, right? And so when you look at these scriptures, when you look at these accounts, you will always see things that are very similar, right? One of the things that are similar every time God delivers his people from a system of oppression is that the waters of the world will begin to rise against the people of God. Water represents the system of this world, 
Remember that in the beginning when God separated the waters from the waters, what he was doing is he was making a distinction between heaven, the system of heaven, and the system of this world. And that was why in Genesis chapter 1, after God says, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, separating the waters from the waters, the Bible says the waters that are above, he called the heavens. But the waters that are beneath, he called what? The seas. And the seas through prophetic insights and renditions have always come to represent the people of this world and the system that they create. Now let me tell you where that thought comes from or where that notion comes from. The sea is not just water. Okay? The system that is formed by the collection of water and the habitations or habitats that it creates collectively as a system make the seas. Now the reason why I'm saying that is because I was one of those people who went for a period of time thinking that in prophecy when you see seas or waters, it's just the people. It's not just the people, it is the people and the system that they create. So any system that is created by people, for example, democracy, which is a system of the people, for the people, by the people, is one of those things that constitute a sea from God's perspective. Alright? And so when you see that every time the water of the sea or the sea begins to rise to overwhelm the people of God, God steps in, first of all, to bring a seal of protection before deliverance. So... This is a message to my brothers and sisters out there, my fellow theologians and Bible scholars who are still holding on to a pre-trib mentality of rapture before any kind of persecution. Please wake up. That is not the way God operates. We will be here in the midst of a part of the trials and tribulations. Maybe not all of it. I'm hoping not all of it. I'm confident not all of it. But maybe just some of it. Just enough for us to at least know when we get to heaven that we're not aliens in heaven. Because when you get to heaven and you're united with your other brothers and sisters that constitute the cloud of witnesses, you don't want to appear like a freak who did not go through any kind of persecution. Because when they're telling stories around the fires, what are you going to say? I got born again and boom, look at me. It's not going to be as fun as when you listen to people like Abraham tell you of the persecutions. He was persecuted greatly by his own father. His own father was almost going to offer him up for execution. When you talk to people like Saul of Tarsus, who ended up becoming Paul the Apostle, who talked about the wealth that he had, the recognition that he had, and the accolades that he enjoyed, but overnight he had to give up every one of those things for the sake of the gospel. He says, I was made poor that you might be rich in righteousness. <coughs> and let me tell you something, if, you, if we don't go through any one of those things, we will totally appear in heaven half-baked and uncooked. The prophet Zechariah said this, he said, I saw the people that are named by the name of God and two-thirds of them fell by the sword. He said, and the third that remains, the Lord passed through the fire. You would have thought that after we have been through persecution, the first round, and the third of us, the remnants, make it, that God is going to say, well, finally, just let them come into the fold. God was like, nope, not yet. Send them through the fire before they come in here. Just to make sure that they're purified. You see, because we're not about to go to heaven to go and mess the place up. Heaven's been doing just fine before we came on the scene. And you know what? Heaven has experienced contamination in the past and is not tolerant to any form of guile. Remember that Satan, Lucifer, and when it was still Lucifer, it's no longer Lucifer. You know, Lucifer means the light bearer. He doesn't bring light anymore. He takes light if he can. But when he was in heaven, these guys were made in heaven. All they had ever known is heaven and still they got corrupt. And so just imagine the ones that are made on the earth. When you show up before the presence of God, remember when Isaiah showed up in the year that King Uzziah died, he said, I also saw the Lord. And he showed up in the presence of God. And the angels were like, okay, I hope it doesn't move any closer because we don't have tolerance for nonsense. And so one of the angels flew with a coal from the altar to purify his lips because it's like, man, this is heaven. We don't, we don't play here. So that is what we have to go through before we get in to that heaven. And so all of the persecution is for your sake and my sake for our purification so that we can show up as gold when we get to heaven. Not just gold that is still in the ore, but gold that has been refined. So when God has shown through these many generations and through these many examples that that is the way that he operates his kingdom, who are we to not say that, well, we don't like the way you do things. We want democracy. 
We're going to have to vote. God, this is the outcome of our election. We come into heaven as we are. That is not about to happen because the Bible says that his kingdom is established forever. What is the implication of knowing that? Or what is the significance of knowing this theory or this principle? Let me give you an example to drive it home. Remember when Moses was born, he was born into a system that is called Egypt. And the Egypt of that time was very oppressive against God's people because a king had a reason that did not know God's people and did not bother to ask who those people were. He just found a bunch of people that were growing and they were strong and they were very industrious and very innovative. And it was like, wow, before these people come and take over the kingdom from us, we just need to oppress them, we need to put chains on them, we need to rule over them. And that was what he was doing because he never inquired. And so when his judgment came, don't feel sorry for him because he had an opportunity to have inquired of the Lord who those people were. And even though he didn't inquire, the signs in the heavens concerning the children of God was so apparent that the magicians and the astronomers of Pharaoh went to Pharaoh and said, you know what, every time we look up at the night sky, what we keep seeing is that these people are a mighty people and one day they will prosper. But instead of them to ask what their prosperity is coming from or where the prosperity is coming from, they decided to subscribe to this particular scarcity mentality that says for you to have means for me to lack. So the moment they saw the prosperity of the children of Israel, they automatically concluded that means that Pharaoh and the kingdom of Egypt will be impoverished. And it doesn't have to be so because there is enough for everybody. But they were in that mentality. And that mentality is something that the devil dishes out. It is, in fact, his stock in trade. But anyway, I divert. But let's come back to what I was saying. Moses was born into that captivity. And when his mother looked at him, prophetically, she saw the future and that the future was bright. The Bible says that she looked at him and she saw that he was a beautiful baby. And she was like, uh-oh, I'm not going to let anybody kill this one. Because an instruction had gone forth by Pharaoh to kill every boy that was two years and under. Simply because that was about the time the prophecy started coming from the magicians and astronomers of Pharaoh. So they didn't want to take any chances. Which of course was precursor to the coming of the Lord Jesus. Because remember when Jesus was born, Herod also gave the same instruction to kill the children two years and, and below. Now, I, I wish it has been given to me just yet to share with you the significance of that in our times um, but it is not yet, but I'm going to give you an insight. What they experienced, that two-year of massacre, is going to happen in our time. And in fact, it has already begun. The midwives have already given their report. Based on what the Lord has shown to me, the midwives have given their report. Pharaoh is not convinced of their report. And Pharaoh wants to carry out his own massacre. And it's going to take a period of two years, like it did in the time of Moses, like in the time of Jesus. It's going to happen in our own time. And so I know that Jesus is not going to come tomorrow. He's going to come very soon, but we're going to experience that period of persecution, period of massacre. It's not for us to be afraid, but it's for us to know that there is a divine selection that cannot be overturned, not by any plan or plot of the enemy. All right, so let's go back to what was going on with Moses. Moses would have been killed if not for the insight the mother had. And the mother decided to do something, and that was to put him in a basket. Now, when they put him in the basket, what did the Bible record in, in Exodus chapter 2? The Bible says they laid him in a basket that was covered in asphalt and glazed in pitch. What, did that, what does that remind you of? By the way, the word basket there is the same word ark. The same Hebrew word for the ark that Noah built. So they literally set him in an ark. And what was the ark of Noah covered in? The ark of Noah was covered in what? In asphalt. It was glued in asphalt and it was covered in pitch. And so every single asphalt is most of our houses today. Most of our roofs are asphalt roofs. Right? Some of them bitumen, but same thing. They're all from the same material. And pitch, if you're wondering what pitch is, the difference between pitch and asphalt is that asphalt is a little coarser. But pitch is melted so that it is fine. And the reason why people do that is they take the asphalt and melt it. And it becomes very thin and fine before the sun hits it. Because when the sun hits asphalt, what happens is asphalt begins to melt. So you get ahead of it. You melt it first before the sun hits it so that the sun cannot melt it. There's a lot to learn from that. Let me just give you an insight. As children of God, 
If we don't deny ourselves of comfort before the world denies us, the world will melt us. The system of this world is a sun-worshipping system. The system of this world, because Satan likes to think of himself still as the light bearer. So Satan likes to call himself the sun. Because he likes the idea of Jesus being the son of righteousness. He also wants to be the son. And when you look at ancient Egypt, what did they worship? They worshiped the sun. And they took pride when the sun was risen over the pyramids. I'm, a, I'm about to shoot some sacred cows, so help me God. The system of this world is like that Egypt. Egypt built their pyramids to be positioned such that when the sun rises, the sun rises over the pyramid. The pyramid system is the system of the world wherein the majority of the people are at the bottom and just a handful of people are at the top ruling and oppressing the people. And the people that are at the top ruling and oppressing are the ones who give all the sacrifices to the sun god. Alrighty? And so that is the reason why you have a lot of names like Ramses. Ramses means, you know, I think it means the child of the sun. And everything about them has to do with the sun. Now, the system of the world that we live in today, I want you to think beyond America. Think beyond the United States, okay? Think about the monetary system. Because the monetary system is the true face of the system of this world. The monetary system of the world today runs on what? Runs on the dollar. Right? It runs on the dollar. Everywhere you go to, the dollar is the standard. And that particular dollar that is the standard, when you take that piece of paper and you look at it and you flip to the back of it, what do you see? You see the sun above the pyramid. And an inscription that is in Latin. The inscription that is in Latin on the dollar bill that is in your hand, it says, Behold, Osiris will rise again. Osiris is the sun god. He's also Apollyon, the god of destruction. And so let's not get it twisted. We may still be very confident in the faith of the founding fathers, but we must not be carried away by the deception that has gone into the world because every good thing that starts in this world at some point gets hijacked by Satan. All right? And so, don't be saying, oh, the United States is God's country. We don't know what you're talking about. I know what I'm talking about. Look at that money. And look at the emblem. Look at what is on it. Is this, does Sister Gina have one of them monies? Let us look at it. Okay, look at that. So what do you see? You see the sun. Right? And then you see it upon the pyramid. And you see those, three, those 13 steps are the steps that are found in the courts of Apollyon. Apollyon is the same God that is called Osiris. His name, is, his name keeps changing. But that is the same dude that we're dealing with here. And all what is written here in Latin, they wrote it in Latin because Latin is the language of this smaller triangle. You see that smaller triangle represents the elite. They speak Latin, they don't want you to speak Latin because a lot of the codes describing their agenda is written in that language. But let me tell you something, I know what it means. It means that Osiris will rise again. And they are taking every step possible to bring Osiris back. So are you still wondering what system that you're a part of? Egypt and Sodom. And it is the system of this world. So what do you do? What you need to do is look at what God has done in the past. When that system of Osiris... And let me just say this, and I know this is already public information, so nobody's going to come and grab me by the collar. Maybe since Nixon, every time there is an inauguration of a president in this country, at the same time the inauguration is going on, there is a sacrifice to invoke the spirit of Osiris to come into the man so that the order of the sun can be preserved. And that is the reason why as long as this system continues to be, our world will be in a pyramid form wherein the majority are oppressed and the minority continue to take all of what is ours and offer it to the sun. It's the sun god. Lucifer, Satan, Apollyon, Osiris. But I say that today because, number one, I am not afraid. Number two, I don't care. Number three, you all need to know. But Moses was set in an ark that was covered in asphalt. 
and was glazed in pitch. Your lives and mine have to be airtight. The Bible says, do not give place to the devil. You see, because every time that our lives are loose, the water of the world will get into us. That is the reason why we need to be firm in God. That is the reason why we cannot compromise what we believe. That is the role of the asphalt to pull together the pieces of us, to glue us together. Moses' ark had to be glued together the same way Noah's ark was glued together. And the seal of the pitch was put upon it. Where else have you heard that? In Revelations, the Bible says that God insisted that the angels that were bringing destruction upon the earth, because you know what those angels were bringing? The angels were bringing wind. And when you can, if you can bring wind from all the four corners of the earth, at the same time, what you're going to create is a vortex. And when there's a vortex, there will be a tsunami. And when there is a tsunami, what overshadows the people will not be wind, it will be water. So when God says the angels are bringing wind, what the people will experience is water. And that is the reason why when you go online, you will find that many believers in the last five to seven years have been having dreams, some people repeatedly, dreams of tsunami, of water covering parts of the country, different parts of the world. This is not physical water as much as it is spiritual water to drown the people of God. But the asphalt and the pitch are there to do what to keep the water from drowning us i say that just to let you know that what those guys experienced what noah experienced right what um moses experienced the church has to experience okay what are the similarities i've told you about the fact that noah had the ark moses had the ark the church also has to have the ark and i'm going to tell you what that is in a minute i've said it before i had a full teaching on it but i'm going to mention it again what else was common to Moses and Noah? When the mother of Moses saw Moses, what did she say? She was like, he is beautiful. Beautiful in that particular sense. Talks about his appearance was pure. When God saw Noah, what did God say? When Noah was born, before they gave him a name, God looked at him. And God was like, ah, this one is pure. And that's why they gave him the name Noah. The name Noah means without blemish. So he was beautiful. God preserved him. Moses was beautiful. God preserved him. If the church will be beautiful, God will preserve us. And what is the beauty of the church? The beauty of the church is unity. The Bible says, oh, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the oil of the anointing. What is the oil of the anointing? The oil of the anointing in ancient times is about the only element or material that people know that is without blemish. Simply because they would, they would, they would rather die then allow for the stinking flies to get into the oil of the anointing. Because the Bible says that when the flies come, even the stinking flies, they cause the oil of the apothecary to send forth a stinking smell. So the oil of the anointing was beautiful and is without blemish. And that is the way God describes the beauty of the church when we come together in unity and in one accord. But how can we attain that beauty? That beauty of the anointing only comes when there is the pressure. Noah was born in the midst of great pressure. Because the fallen angels have come and they had started to establish kingdoms. They were building pyramids. They were teaching people how to worship them. They were developing, you see a lot of civilizations like the ancient dragon civilization of the Chinese, the Inca civilization, the pyramids of Egypt, and the physics that you see spread across northern Africa. These were the works of the fallen angels, the watchers who came. And they were creating a lot of oppression upon the earth. And God was like, we need to fix this. But let it run for a little bit because we need that pressure to create the beauty that we need. And that is the reason why there was that pressure in the time of Moses also. So that his beauty can be known. And the pressure that the church is experiencing today is what you have seen in the movies. Whenever an alien is coming to attack the earth, suddenly Russia and the United States become friends. And Japan and the United Kingdom start to shake hands and be lovers again. Because when there is an external pressure, division internally gets eliminated. Can I say that again? When there is external pressure, you see all of that, oh, I don't like that sister. When she comes, when I come to church, she doesn't greet me. All of that is because we're still comfortable. By the time they start to hunt down believers, 
and we have the opportunity to gather together in the basement like this or underground somewhere. It doesn't matter what that person sounds like or what they smell like. You're going to be hugging them and loving them and greeting them with a holy kiss because they are all you have. That is the asphalt. Asphalt is only usable when it is under pressure and when a lot of heat is applied. That which will glue us together as the body of Christ is the pressure that is coming from the world. And I say this so that you can rejoice knowing that God has you covered. There is no amount of persecution in the world that can ever go out of God's control. Let me show you two things. Let's start from um, Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. I want to show you two things. Um, I'm going to show you something in Exodus chapter 2. The Bible says that, in fact, let's, let's, like I said, we might do a bit of reading today. So let's go ahead. Thank you, Chris. Since Katie's been out, Chris has been manning the board himself and Will. So well done to you guys. Um, the Bible says that a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. So both of them were Levites. Very pure priesthood race. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, a beautiful child, she hid him three months. And then you know the reason why it's three months and not two months? Simply because there is always that number three talking about our preparation before redemption. The Bible says in two days I'll prepare my people and on the third day I'll come for them. Jesus was hidden for three decades, for 30 years. And the agenda for salvation was hidden for three years after that, all through his ministry until it was revealed. And so when you see being hidden for three years or three months, he's talking about the fact that ultimately the church is going to be hidden for a period of three days. There is a, a, a dispensation of three orders that we're going to be submerged and hidden for. But that is story for another day. But I just saw that number and I want you to know that that's what it represents. So when you're doing your own study and you see that, then it helps you to be better prepared in your heart for what is coming. But the Bible says in verse 3, But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, dubbed it in asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Actually, let us skip on from there because we saw that Moses grew up and he started to have compassion on his brothers. And um, it came to pass, verse 11, now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and, and hid him in the sand. And when he went out a second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting and he said to one, who did the wrong? Why are you striking your companion?" And then he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. Verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Let me quickly say something here so that all that long reading is not in vain. Why did Moses have to flee? From Egypt not because of what he did he was quite comfortable with what he did he was okay with what he did he flew he fled because of the fact that Pharaoh heard what Moses had done now that triggered a lot of things because they knew that a deliverer will be raised amongst the people to set them free from the prophecies that were told and that was why they were killing people that age right and now that Moses was protecting his younger ones because there was really nobody his age because everybody his age was killed amongst his people. So it was either you were older than him and you were younger or you were younger than him. But because it wasn't the daytime, it was most likely people that were younger than him that were walking, that were walking, I mean, working in the fields. And so when they saw that, it must have triggered that, okay, wait a minute. If this guy is older and he's a Hebrew and he's not protecting his one, then if we let him live, he might be that deliverer. So, they rose against him. What is going on in the realm of the spirit now is that the enemy is looking to take possession of the earth. 
many, many a times we forget that Satan's desperation for the earth is because there are no other planets. Okay? So the reason why they lied to us about maybe, oh, they just found another star. Another star that has earth-like planets. Is because they don't want you to know that this is the only thing. This is it. Outside this place, there's no other place. There's heaven and there is earth. Because if they make you think that there is other places, then you will not think about the fact that Satan is after you because he wants to take this place. It's a diversion. I have studied the science of it and I know the scripture of it. All of that is nonsense. Anybody that says otherwise, they should come and try to prove what science this is based on. Because they tell you that every, ever since they've been telling you, have you ever wondered where they get those pictures from? Because they say that star is 15 million light years away. But we can tell you it has four planets, seven planets, ten planets. And it's like if it's 15 million light years away, how did you pick up the signal coming from there? Because nothing travels faster than light, not even your radio signals. But people don't ask these questions. But I've got friends in the academia who are paid money just to keep coming up with these lies. And they become so comfortable and threatened that they don't come up with the truth. This might be the reason why they, that this might be the reason why they hang some of us eventually as part of the persecution because we're no longer going to stand and let people lie to us about the wonders of God's creation. Unfortunately, there are pastors who are of the order of Osiris in this same town that are teaching that the sun goes around, that the moon and the sun and the earth go around the sun, whereas in fact the Bible says one day the Lord God caused the sun to stand still. Think about that logic for a second. Who is true, God or that pastor down the road? The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. They keep telling us those things because they don't want us to know why we need to stand up and fight. Satan was in heaven. He was kicked out. And the Bible says God spoke that his place was no more. And Satan knows that God doesn't play. So the moment God said his place was no more, he knew that they were never, ever going to get back into heaven. And so all they have left is what? The earth. Because when God created everything, he created only the heavens and the earth. I saw a picture the other day of the solar system, so to speak. And from the, from the earth, the picture was supposedly taken from the earth. And you could see Mercury, Venus, and Jupiter. How is that even possible? Geometrically, it is impossible. But they want you to just believe it. Because if, it's, if it is factual, if it is scientific, you don't have to believe it. You just have to accept it. Because knowledge is to be received. But faith is to be believed. And that is the reason why they keep pushing things that you cannot prove. You can only believe it. Because unless you believe a thing, your soul... You see, the soul of man does not open up only if there's a need to believe. Your brain is always opened up to see things that are fact-based. But your soul opens up when there is the need to believe. And that is the only way the devil can come and steal the virtue of your soul. By always presenting things that you have to believe. That's why he tosses you about by every wind of doctrine. Today they tell you the mask works, tomorrow they tell you it doesn't. Today they tell you this jab works, tomorrow they tell you it doesn't. Simply because at the end of the day, all of those things are intended for you to just follow them only because you believe them. But one thing that I tell you for a fact is this, ladies and gentlemen. This is why they're coming for us. Because the devil's been looking for who's going to challenge him for occupying the earth. And now they will see the church in action and they will say oh, there they are they are the ones to take over this world so we have to stop them but Moses fled because of what Pharaoh heard now let me let me just quickly say this let, let me take us back about a couple of hundred years before this happened before Moses and the children of Israel went into captivity there was one man who was God's friend his name was Abraham and Abraham's first son his name was what Ishmael right now when God, when Moses, when Abraham had Ishmael, God knew that that was not the one he was working with totally, but he also wants to work with Ishmael. Isaac was the child of promise. So what God did was, he allowed for them to be separated. Now you see where Satan learns his strategy from. Having immorality and regimentation together and then separating them to bring them back in the end. Every time there is an exodus, there is a convergence of the two systems. Ishmael represents a system. Isaac represents a system. So God separated Ishmael from Isaac for hundreds of years. Until the exodus was about to begin. And he brought them back together again. 
when Pharaoh heard, he decided to label Moses a fugitive. Right? Whatever Satan is trying to do now, he's only trying to copy something that God has already done to secure your salvation. So when Pharaoh heard, he made a move. But guess what? When God heard of what will become of the seed of Abraham, he already made a move in advance. And that was why the boy's name was called Ishmael. Ishmael means when God hears. I say that today because of the fact that whatever it is that is, is triggering the system today is the same thing that triggered God to move in the past. So if the system is triggered against the church today because we are recognized as the ones that will possess the earth. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What is triggering Satan to attack us today was exactly what triggered God in the past to give us the Holy Spirit so that we are sealed. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is our seal. The Holy Spirit is our asphalt and our pitch. He's the one who seals us against the water of the world. What triggered that? Because God knew that we would need help. So you see how it works. So nothing ever catches God unawares. Because Pharaoh heard, he made a move. But God also heard, he made a move. And he set something into motion. We don't have time, but I'm going to quickly summarize the rest of chapter 2 and some of chapter 3 of Exodus to us. When Moses was, when he fled Egypt, where did he go? He went into the land of the Midianites. And who received him when he got into the land of the Midianites? He was received by a man that was called Rehuel. Or Rehuel. I was asking the leaders sometime this week, we were having a conversation on the phone, we were having a conference call, and I asked them, I said, what is the name of Moses' father-in-law? And I told them, I said, there are three father-in-laws that Moses had. I said, so you're most likely not going to be wrong whatever answer you gave. Pastor Will, I think it was you who said Jethro. That was, that was Island or Diamond. They said Jethro. So let me tell you something. If you had said Jethro, if you had said Hobab, or if you had said Rehuel, you would be right. Because every one of those men were called the father-in-law of, of Moses. But Moses had the one wife. So for crying out loud, how can one girl have three fathers? We need Jerry Springer. We need to decide who is the father of this child. You see what I mean? Because the same man, and I tell you what, this is one of those controversies that have been long-standing and deep-seated amongst theologians. And the, the compromise that happened, I think it was well, some of the most recent published of the compromise, I think it was between 1972 and 79, where a group of people came together and said, well, it has to be the same person who had different names. So they concluded that Jethro was his name, Rehuel was his title, and Hobab was his nickname. And I'm like, oh, how convenient. But let's run with that until we hear the Holy Spirit himself settle the matter. And so the Holy Spirit came. I went to the Holy Spirit and I said, okay, look, I've read these things. And they're kind of amusing. But I need to know the truth. What is really going on in here? Right? The guy that received Moses, his name was Rehuel. And Rehuel, you know who he was? He was a descendant of Ishmael. He, was, he wasn't just a descendant of Ishmael. He was like Moses because he was a pure Ishmaelite. And what I mean by that is Moses was born to two Levites. You know, the tribe of Levi was the father. The tribe of Levi was the mother. Rehuel was born to a person who was a descendant of both Ishmael and Esau. Because Ishmael and Esau were both firstborn sons who were separated from what God was doing because God wanted them to come back in the end for there to be a convergence of power. The way Esau was separated was the way Ishmael was separated. And the two of them came together and they had a son, like a great, great grandson, whose name was Rehuel, and Rehuel was the one who received Moses. The convergence of God's power is to bring salvation, but the convergence of the world is to bring destruction. So we are in safe hands because this God who has called us 
has made provisions ahead of time that no matter where we have to run to, we will be taken care of. Because even the help that we have forgotten exists for the church is about to show up again. Ishmael is about to show up. Esau is about to show up. And they will show up as friends because Rehuel means the friend of God. And that is the reason why I say to you today, no matter how much the world wants to drive you away from the place where you have become comfortable, don't be afraid. If Pharaoh comes at you to drive you from your place of work, to drive you from, your, from, from the neighborhood that you live in, because I tell people, and I've said it here before, and Andre has also seen the vision. Don't say that because you, 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 you can afford to pay mortgage on the house, you own the house. No, you don't. If you go and read the ordinances of your mortgage, you are only able to pay a mortgage if the mortgage company allows you to. If you send in your check and they reject it, they have the right to. I don't, I don't think many people know that. Right? And so at the end of the day, the only thing that is ours in this world is that which God gives to us. And so no matter what they want to take, I've been saying this and I'm going to keep saying it because I can't but say that which I have seen. The Bible says that a false witness is an abomination, but the one who hears, who hears will speak expressly. I hear what the Lord is saying. I see what the hand of the Lord is doing. And I'm not going to be here to say things that will make people feel good. No, I want to say things that will make people be good. Because you can feel good and be rotten on the inside. So what I'm saying here, ladies and gentlemen, is this. Egypt can drive you out, but God has already prepared for you a place called Median. And in that Median, God is waiting to receive you himself. Now let me explain that part. Let me tell you something. As much as the people of God were called the people of God, God was not in Egypt when they were in Egypt. I have searched the scriptures, my friends. I did not find God in Goshen. I did not find God in Ramesses. Ramesses, Goshen. It depends on who you ask. People believe that Goshen was called Ramesses after it was built up because they didn't want it to be attributed to the slaves who built it. But story for another day. But every one of those places, I didn't find God. But then as soon as Moses stepped into Median, what did he see? He found God. How, did, how do I know that he found God? When he got there, there were seven daughters of the same man who found him by the well. Okay? All of these things have significances. The well is the source of water. And what is the source of water? The presence of God. Because Eden was the presence of God. And it was from Eden that the water came that became four tributaries that watered the old area of Avila. Where the Garden of Eden was. Alright? And so we know that when you see the well, it represents the presence of God. Now when you go to the presence of God, what do you find? You find the seven spirits of God. Right? And you know the seven spirits of God are girls. They're daughters. They're women. I thought the women in the house were going to say, whoo, whoo. You know there was one day that I was telling you about, um, what you might call it, telling you about wisdom. The wisdom of God. How the wisdom of God was introduced to, Ab to Solomon as a woman. Right? The wisdom of God is one of the seven spirits of God. And we have known over time, the moment, every time you look at the seven spirits of God, they have these very feminine attributes to them. And so when you saw the seven daughters that were by the well, they represent the seven spirits of God. And their father was called Rehuel, the friend of God. Right? Now, the, the reason why it was called Rehuel, the friend of God, was because he came from Abraham, and Abraham was called the friend of God, but the fact that he had seven daughters, it meant that he was not just the friend of God, he was a representation of the God of that friend. Because when he came, he said something to them that only God has ever said to us. When they found the man, Moses helped them to fend off the people that were troubling the girls. And when Moses helped them, they came to Rehuel, their father, and they said, well, the Rehuel was like, how come you have come back so quickly today? Oh, there was like, oh, there was this bloke that helped us. Tall, dark, and handsome. Good looking guy. Oh, but he's an Egyptian. And so the man was like, so because he's an Egyptian, you left him out there? You know, like, he doesn't belong here. He said to them, no. He says, go and bring him. He says, bring me the Egyptian. You know that God is the only one that has the authority, the power to call us out of darkness into the marvelous light. 
And that was how I knew that Rehuel was there as a representation of God because he called Moses out of Egypt into the light. He says, go and bring him. And they brought him. And when they brought him, he gave him one of his daughters. And the one that he gave to him was who? Zippy. Zipporah. Zipporah means the bird. Which means spirit. So what Jesus came to do was to bring us out of Egypt to bring us to the Father. And the Father is the one that gives us his spirit. And so when Moses was given Zipporah, Zipporah and Moses, they started to live together as husband and wife. And from that moment onward, the name Rehuel disappeared from the Bible. The father-in-law of Moses was now called Jethro. The same man who was Rehuel was now called Jethro. Why? Jethro means abundance in the sense of the grace of God. Jesus says, the thief comes not but to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But I am come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus is the abundance of God. That's why the Bible says in him is the abundance of the Godhead bodily. And so they came into a relationship with the Lord Jesus. But it didn't end there. When Moses was leading the children of Israel, after a while, the Bible says Jethro left him and went back to his place. But Hobab, his father-in-law, continued with him. When Jesus came, after a while, did he not leave us? He left us to go back to his place at the right hand of the Father. But are we alone? We're not alone. Who is with us? The Holy Spirit, the Hobab, is with us. So we're talking about the same God who came as the Father, as the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He was Rehuel, he was Jethro, and he was Obab. Now where I'm going with this today is the fact that we have seen that there will always be persecution before an exodus. There will always be separation from the world before an exodus. We will be driven out every time before an exodus. Noah had to be driven out because he was crazy. And he needed to build an ark and he couldn't build that in town. He was driven out. Moses needed to plan and work with God to forge a plan for salvation. And he couldn't do that in Egypt. He had to be driven out. Every single time there is a kicking out, a driving out, a separation. But every time that we are separated, we are not alone because Hobab is with us. And someone is saying, but I've looked at the meaning of Obab, brother Moses, and it doesn't mean holy. It doesn't even mean spirit. Where did he get the Holy Spirit from? The word Obab is the word cherished in the natural sense. But when you look at the root word, Chabab, Chabab, I think that's how it's pronounced, which was translated Hobab, it means one that is close enough to be breathed on to be kept warm. So the person that you bring close to you that you breathe on so that you can keep them warm. They are the ones that you cherish. And that is the full meaning of Hobab. And how did Jesus describe the Holy Spirit? Jesus says he will be the one that is called alongside to be close to you. And when he gave them the Holy Spirit, what did he do? The resurrected Jesus laid his hands upon the disciples and he breathed upon them. And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And he says he will keep you warm. He will comfort you. So... There is no way Moses could have made it through the wilderness leading the children of Israel without Hobab. The Bible made it very clear that it was by the counsel of Jethro that continued in the ministry of Hobab that they knew they left from their right. So here we have come to, ladies and gentlemen. My submission to you today is that the world that we're living in is wrapping up. This world system is about to be done away with. It's about to perish in the Red Sea. And you are about to emerge on the other side on your way to the promised land. You're about to, for the first time, have the true freedom to worship your God on the Mount of Sinai. To do the things that you were destined for, that you were made for, without the oppressive system of the world. And the captain of your salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to be with us. The Yeshua, Hamashiach, is going to be with us as Joshua was with them in the, in the wilderness. He will be with us and he will be the captain that will lead us to take possession of the earth. But let me tell you something, all of that is only going to happen when you remain close with the Holy Spirit who is your seal. If there is a gap between your seal and your ark, your boat will flood. If there is a gap between you and your Holy Spirit, you will not receive his warmth. You will not receive his comfort. And so in the face of all of what's going on in the world, I dare to present to you that more than ever before, you need to cultivate that intimacy with the Holy Spirit because without Hobab, you are not going to make it. None of us 
as a chance against the system of the world. Without that proximity with the Holy Spirit. Ask yourself, are you close enough to the Holy Spirit such that when he breathes, you can feel his breath? Do you go to him when you're cold so that he can keep you warm? Or do you try to warm yourself with the fire of the world? Because one day the world is going to turn off its fire. I read to you Isaiah chapter 13 the other day. And in Isaiah chapter 13, God was like, I am going to turn off the system of the world. I will do it myself. He said, the stars will no longer give the light. The sun will not shine. And the moon will go dim. And I will raise the meads against my people for a judgment. Even I, the Lord, will raise a giant against them because of my salvation. So let me tell you something. Like I've been saying, don't bother yourself too much about the people that are oppressing us in the world. They have come. Because the Lord says they should come. When Herod came, when Pontius Pilate came, when the children of Israel came, Jesus was not worried about them because he knew that if they didn't come, then the word of the Lord would not be fulfilled. According to Psalms chapter 2 verse 18, the kings of this earth have come and they have plotted against, they plotted a vain thing against the Lord and his anointed. So they have come against us simply because they need to drive us to the foot of Sinai wherein we're going to meet God. They need to drive us to the Midianite priest who is going to show to us the true image of God and give us the wings with which we're going to fly from here. He will give us Zipporah. But we need to be close to him first of all. And he's asked you to come. He's asked you to be brought and you have been brought. You are saved. You have the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a relationship with Jethro. But let me tell you something. Your relationship with Jethro will not take you to the promised land. You need a relationship with Hobab. A cherished relationship. And that is why it is called a sweet communion with the Holy Spirit. Because it is so cherished. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 14 says, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit. If you read that in old English, in old understanding, what it was saying is, May the abundance of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Jethro, may the friendship of the love of the father Rehuel and may the sweet fellowship that is cherished of the Holy Spirit be with you. God has made sure from time immemorial that he stays consistent in his execution so that you and I are without excuse. You can always bank on the way God does things because that is the way he will do it today. Now in conclusion will you make a fresh commitment today to say you know what I am in this ark that is made of bulrushes. I am in this ark that is made of gopher wood. None of which is resistant to water. So the only way that I'm going to stay afloat when the flood of the system of the world comes is if I have the Holy Spirit first of all uniting me with my brethren as the asphalt and then being the seal over my life personally as the pitch. I need the Holy Spirit. Remember that the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 14 when he came, he redefined the destiny of the apostles. And a lot of us, we have been faithfully serving God and faithfully seeking after him. But he's saying, I want you to go beyond faithful. I want you to be exact. Because you can be faithful and still miss the mark. You can be faithful and still miss the mark. And that is why we have the Holy Spirit that gives us the distinction. It gives you the bullseye so that you do not miss the mark. Paul was very faithful. He said, I know that I am faithful. He said, I have worked more than y'all. He said, but at the same time, I humble myself before the Lord so that having led all, I myself don't become a castaway. I put my body under. I don't want anything to clog my vision. I want to lay it all down so that there is that intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Everything I pray for you today, this is my prayer for you even before this service began. This is the prayer that I've been saying yesterday. You know, yesterday I didn't join the call in time. But before, a few minutes before I joined the call, the Lord set me aside. I was ready to dial. And he said to me, he said, I want to show you something. And then he showed me, for those of you that were not on the call yesterday for the prayer and fast, and the Holy Spirit showed me a group of my brothers and sisters, and the heavens were open above them. And everything they've always wanted to see of God, God was doing it by his hands above them. But they didn't see it because they were not looking up. Things were plucking at them. And those were their focus. They were trying to attend to the things that were plucking at them. And that's why they didn't look up. And the Lord said to me, unless they lift up their eyes, they will not see me. Nor will they see my hand and what I am doing. 
And my wife read to us today from Isaiah chapter 55, and you would read from verse 6, 7. He goes on to say that the fast was chosen by the Lord to break the bonds and to loose every weight that holds us down. We have been in this fast so that all those things that have been comforting us temporarily and falsely, the things of the world, can be broken away from us so that we will seek no other comfort than the one that the Hobab brings, that the Holy Spirit brings. So I want to encourage you. I said this before and I'm going to say it again in closing. If you don't allow yourself to be denied of pleasure, pleasure, to first of all be melted under the heat of the Holy Spirit, the sun will melt you. Melt you. And what is the sun? In this particular context, Egypt, Sodom, the system of this world. So I want to encourage you, ladies and gentlemen, let us say no to every comfort is not of God. So that when the world comes to withdraw their little fire, that's been keeping you warm, you will not be cold because the Holy Spirit is with you. Let us make that determination today to begin to have conversations with the Holy Spirit. Let us make that conversation today. A friend of mine said to me about two weeks ago, he said, Brother Moses, he says, now I have decided that I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit about everything. He says some things that I do normally. When I wake up, I go to have my bath. He said, I'm not going to do that again without asking the Holy Spirit, is this okay? Can I do this? You see what I mean? It may sound mundane, but let me tell you something. I am a witness to what he's saying because when the Lord was inviting me to come, in, to come closer and to hear more clearly, that was how he brought me closer, wherein I would stand and I'll be asking the Lord, which of these shoes? And for me, and the number of shoes that I had at the time, to have known the one to wear, I must have heard God. You see what I mean? But it started with the mundane things, but eventually, guess what? I started to learn his voice. Maybe you need to do the same. Maybe you need to take an inventory of your life and the things that have become routine. The things that you do to make you feel comfortable. The things that you do to make you feel good. And begin to ask yourself, is this what you would have me do? Because the Bible says that if we're not faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will give to us the true riches of the kingdom? If we can't hear God concerning these unrighteous things, how are we going to hear him about the righteousness of the kingdom? The practice begins in those places. But the Bible says our senses are sharpened by practice, by reason of use. I'm going to read to you one more verse of scripture. Actually, I'm going to save it for another time because our time is first spent. But you can go read it on your own. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 17. And now that I mentioned it, I'm just going to read it. Yeah, you saw that coming, didn't you? Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 17. He says, therefore prepare yourself and arise. And speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed before their faces. Lest I dismay you before them. He says what? He says therefore prepare yourself and arise. He said because if you do not be dismayed before their faces. Lest I dismay you before them. Let me tell you something. This is the same concept that Jesus was saying. He said if you are not, if you are ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you before my father. If you are not with the Holy Spirit in your closet, he will not be with you in public. So when the day comes and you're called out to be tormented, to be persecuted, to be tortured, to be grueled, if you were not with him already in the closet, how is he going to stand with you in the public place? Do you think that if Moses had not been with Jethro in Midian, which means contempt, do you think that Hobab would have been with him in the wilderness? We need the Holy Spirit when the waters come. We need that seal when the water comes. But if we are not with him in the closet, how is he going to be with us? This is the way we prepare ourselves to stand by being with the Holy Spirit in the closet. So that when the time comes and we have to stand before Pontius Pilate, we're not alone. Let us pray. I would encourage you to rise to your feet one more time. And we're saying, Holy Spirit, we need you. If I let us attempt to sing this song together, I'm going to sing it once. If you don't know it, listen and then you can join me afterwards. Come, Holy Spirit, we need you. Come, sweet spirit, we pray. Come, 
in your strength and your power. Come in your own special way. Thank you for tuning in and we pray this podcast has blessed you today. For more information about this church, check out www.communion.house. That's www.communion.house. Or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Communion House. Hungry for more life-giving content? Head over to Communion House on YouTube for a full catalogue, live and on demand. We're honoured to have your audience. Wherever you're tuning in from, thank you and God bless you today.